Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. COVID cases in the United States are on the rise again with uh, the seven-day moving average reaching 100,000 cases. The White House has stressed the need for additional funding to combat COVID-19 and has been warning about the consequences of not getting it. What is pushing the latest wave? How dire is the situation? And given the U.S. has just announced 40 billion in new aid to Ukraine, is fighting COVID-19 a priority for the U.S. government or not? Well, Welcome to The Point with me, Lu Xin, an opinion show coming to you live from Beijing. I'm pleased to be joined from Connecticut, the United States, by Professor Stan Vermund, Dean of the Yale School of Public Health, and from Washington by Dr. Alice Hyung Kyung Tan, internist at Ms. Medi Women's Hospital. Welcome to both of you to The Point. So, um, Professor Vermund, let me go to you first, as uh, we know that there have been a total of 83 million numbers of infections in the United States of COVID, uh, over a million deaths. And as I said, the U.S. is observing a trend where daily infections are on the rise again. According to the CDC, the seven-day average cases are reaching a have reached 100,000. Why is the number rising now? And given the fact that some are saying that the actual number of cases could be higher as there are cases that are not uh, reported to the central authority, is that reflecting the reality? These are excellent questions. Uh, we are only managing uh, about 35% of uh, the American population uh, to have gotten boosted. And we know that there is some waning of the initial two doses of vaccine over a four to six month period. But we've not been successful in uh, raising the proportion of boosted people to the level of overall uh, inf uh, vaccination. So uh, there are people who are more vulnerable because their um, immunization status is not optimized. And uh, they, we still have uh, in the neighborhood of 20% uh, of Americans who are refusing vaccination altogether. Um, given the Omicron variants that seem to be more infectious, this then gives an opportunity for these viruses to spread. Specific you mentioned about yeah, right. you mentioned also about home testing, and certainly you're right that some of the milder cases are not being reported. Mm -hmm. Specifically, let me stay with you. As you mentioned, the vaccine re vaccination rate in the United States, uh, we know that, that 580 million doses have been administered in the United States. 78% of the population have gotten their first shot, 67 their second shot, and only 30% of the total population have gotten their uh, booster shot, just to reinforce what you have just said there. But according to your understanding, specifically, are people getting repeated information? Infections because their previous immunity has waned, or are these new infections, meaning people who are getting COVID for the very first time, the latest way we, we are seeing? It's a mixed bag. Um, there are persons who have been vaccinated and they get infected, but their, their disease tends to be mild. There are people who had prior COVID and are now getting COVID again. 
Um, and uh, they uh, also have a milder disease because they have partial protection from their previous infection. Mm. Uh, however, there are people getting um, uh, COVID for the very first time, and if they're not vaccinated, that represents a subset of the hospitalized patients and some of the deaths, a substantial proportion of the deaths. So it's quite a mix now of who's getting COVID. Uh, but to be honest, it's the people getting hospitalized, the people who are dying, who are of greatest concern. And we are um, deeply sorry that many of them uh, have refused vaccination. Mm. Um, you mentioned the number of deaths. Uh, we also have the latest numbers according to the CDC. However, that it seems the daily average number of deaths is not that high compared to the number of uh, infections. For instance, right now we're seeing a seven-day average of about 300 daily on a daily basis. It's still extremely sad and extremely unfortunate, but it seems that it's not as significant as the wave of infections that we're seeing. Dr. Tan, uh, you are mostly in the Republic of Korea. Uh, I. Uh, I know, I understand you're right now in the United States. What is your observation as to how dire this latest surge is, uh, considering the relatively moderate number of deaths we're seeing? Well, as you know, uh, COVID deaths are a lagging indicator. And what is uh, obvious is when we look at the epidemic curve from Johns Hopkins University, is from the third week of May, the number of COVID deaths, new COVID deaths, that also started to increase. Uh, what is more obvious is we are also seeing an increase in hospitalizations, new hospitalizations uh, due to COVID-19. And that's very obvious. And so it may just be a matter of time until of course the deaths catch up and we start to see a more obvious increase in deaths. What's concerning, um, is even though we, we did mention the mixed bag uh, in terms of what we're seeing, we are seeing hospitalizations among mostly people who are unvaccinated, but we're also noticing a higher proportion of COVID deaths that are occurring in people who have actually been vaccinated. And this is very concerning indeed. And it's not simply a reflection of more people having been vaccinated, uh, the protective effect of our vaccines may be waning as well. And so this is something we really need to keep an eye on uh, in terms of the breakthrough infections that are happening. Uh, and unfortunately, when we look at the curve, it's moving in the wrong direction. All three, new cases, new hospitalizations, and new deaths. Mm -hmm. uh, according to your observation, Dr. Tan, and in comparison with, uh, with what you're seeing in your home country, how vigorous are the uh, measures taken by the U.S. administration in terms of helping people fight uh, this virus? Is, um, is it trying to fight as much as it can, or have the authorities and the general public adopted a kind of laissez-faire attitude because they basically have not been able to ward off the, this virus, so it's a de facto letter rip that you're observing there. Well, certainly the approach taken in the United States, I think, is very different from what was uh, taken in South Korea. Uh, here, public health measures uh, tend to lag, I think. Um, rather than being proactive, they are reactive. And so here, it, where I am, uh, King County of Washington State, 
Right now, the COVID uh, community level is medium. We're on the verge of being high. Uh, and that is, of course, the highest level of uh, community uh, alert. And once you reach high, that's when they will start to think about reinstating indoor mask mandates and so forth. And by that time, of course, uh, it, it's too late. A lot of the preventable cases, preventable hospitalizations, and preventable deaths, uh, that opportunity to prevent them has been lost because of the lag in the implementing more stringent public health measures. Uh, so that is one difference that I've noticed in the two countries as I've traveled back and forth. Mm -hmm. Professor Vermont, what is your comment to uh, Dr. Tan's observation of the kind of lack of proactive attitude and action and policy by either the local or the federal uh, administration in tackling this? Has COVID infection become a fact of life and a matter of time for everyone in the U.S. to be infected at least once? We do have a paradox, uh, which is that cases are rising hospitalizations are rising less dramatically and deaths are actually quite um, stable and comparatively low. We've never seen that before and I think the reason for this is we are um, having fewer deaths and fewer hospitalizations than the case numbers would indicate uh, because of the um, vaccine status. Many people are vaccinated and uh, immunized um, and uh, many people have gotten COVID and therefore have partial protection. So I think there's a sense uh, in the country uh, that it's a less, less concern because um, there are fewer deaths uh, than would be expected with this number of cases. Um, also, many of the cases are uh, less severe than they used to be, which is why the hospital, hospital rise is not commensurate uh, uh, with at the same steep level as the case rise. So I do think that there is um, a sense of um, confidence that the worst is behind us. And is it true, though, does that alarm you, Professor Vermont, the sense that the worst is behind you? Because the cases, the number of deaths could pick up and you are seeing wave after wave of infection, despite people, we are already in the third year of this pandemic. No, there's no question the worst is behind us. Uh, the death rates are much lower than they used to be. So I don't think I dispute that. But um, the case rates are still uh, quite high, and as you observe, they're rising. So I do think that people need to be taking more precautions and be more uh, aware of ongoing uh, COVID transmission. Uh, we hope that the summertime, uh, with more outdoor activity uh, and less indoor action, uh, will be helpful. But in the hotter parts of our country, people are paradoxically indoors more during the summer because they want the air conditioning and that could increase risk. So I do think there's risk in this country and people need to be cautious. Mm. Dr. Tan, what is your assessment? Do you think the worst is over already? I mean, we're also talking about the aftermath, the post-COVID symptom where some uh, media has uh, published have published articles comparing to the pandemic after the pandemic, not to mention the kind of lack or uh, erosion in productivity as a result of uh, symptoms 
symptoms such as long COVID? I think you're bringing up a very good point. Uh, I would dis disagree with, our, uh, with my co-panelist. I don't think there is a guarantee that the worst is behind us. There is no guarantee that we will not encounter another variant that is a variant of high consequence, not just a variant of concern. A variant that not only evades uh, immunity, but could also uh, run, we could run into the problem of resistance to our uh, only two really uh, oral antiviral medications. So I really don't see uh, any guarantee that the pandemic is over. And so I don't think it makes sense to act as if the pandemic were over. And your point about long COVID, I think is excellent. And it really deserves more attention because we could be faced with really a tidal wave of new cases of stroke, heart disease, blood clots, anxiety, depression, so many diseases, diabetes, so many diseases that could be the uh, long legacy of this pandemic. And so governments really need to prepare for a deluge of uh, potential cases uh, due to what the, what the uh, pandemic has done in the present day. The legacy may last for decades. Professor Vermont, your reactions? I share uh, Dr. Tan's concerns, and I think uh, she makes excellent points. We are in much better situation today than uh, we were uh, two years ago, because if a new variant uh, that uh, escaped the immune protection of current vaccines were to emerge, we have the technologies to develop a new vaccine against that new variant, and that could be done very quickly. We also uh, have that same ability to design um, uh, biological therapies um, uh, such as monoclonal antibodies against new strains. So this is a new technological uh, ability that we have that we didn't have two years ago. So I'm not quite as alarmed by an emerging uh, new strain. It will cost a, a lot of money hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So I don't want to trivialize it at all, but I don't think that we are going to see the degree of death uh, from COVID in our country that we've seen over the past two years. I believe that we can mitigate uh, disease as it emerges uh, subsequently. Um, none of that's an excuse to be excessively casual. And I do think that uh, we need to maintain um, uh, an intelligent uh, strategy for um, public health uh, measures to prevent disease. I'm a public health guy. I don't want to see people have to have um, therapeutic interventions. I would rather prevent their exposure and, uh, right. and mitigate. Okay seriousness with right. vaccines. Professor Vermont, you talked about a lot of options, a lot of possibilities, a lot of availabilities, uh, such as the technologies that are there. It only, But it will take time, for instance, when you use that technology to turn into something that can prevent people from getting infected, for instance, by a new variant of COVID-19. And as I mentioned in the leading, for instance, the White House made the request for 22.5 billion additional fund to fight COVID, and they've yet to get it. Uh, 
it seems at the moment that it's not the priority as the Ukraine crisis is getting immediately a lot of funding compared to the domestic public health crisis. How do you react to that? Do you think enough is being done by the Biden administration to, tack, to prioritize the fight against COVID-19? Well, I don't think the problem is with the administration. They have asked for this support and they have lobbied for it, but Congress has not been supportive. Uh, so I think the Biden administration uh, and the COVID response headed by Dr. Ashish Jha has been very articulate about the need for these resources. Uh, Congress hasn't been convinced, and this is partly because COVID has bizarrely become a partisan issue in our country, uh, where um, typically Republicans and Democrats are both keen uh, to support public health measures, clean water and, uh, and you know, drinking water and uh, proper sewage disposal. These are not partisan issues, but somehow COVID and COVID vaccine has become partisan. I blame the previous president for this. I think he could have done much more to advocate for uh, COVID vaccines, for example, and he could have set a much better example um, in terms of public health measures to prevent transmission, but he didn't. He sent very many uh, mixed messages and even hostile messages to COVID control. And many people support the former president, uh, Trump, so I think this has twisted people's judgment as to uh, what the importance is of this of this, okay. of this uh, disease. Well, regardless of uh, which party you belong to, um, Dr. Tan, the mere fact that the Congress is not convinced that COVID is an extremely serious measure, that you have the relative high level of immunity, not mostly from vaccination, but from people getting this disease, from people getting sick. And now the number of people who are getting sick is, is on the rise. What does that say about what has to be told? What kind of um, alarm clock, you know, alarming messages or facts and numbers that had to be go out there to convince people in the United States that uh, the price of what the U.S. is, is, is living with now is already high enough and, and more needs to be done? Right, we can't gamble with the pandemic anymore. Uh, we have uh, scientific evidence that shows that the sera of patients who have had COVID before without vaccination, in terms of its neutralizing activity against uh, new subvariants, the BA.4, BA.5, BA.2, 12.1, the neutralizing activity of people who have had uh, prior infection is not as high as people who have been vaccinated or people who were uh, wise enough to get vaccinated after a prior infection. So if we have a large pool of people in America who think that they are protected enough just because they had prior infection, that's simply not the case. And as I said, we can't afford to gamble with this pandemic. One million lives have been lost. This is as of May 16th, this last Monday. I don't know what other number needs to be put out there to convince Congress to have the political will to fund uh, all of the fight that we need to uh, sustain uh, our measures, our countermeasures against the pandemic. We need funding for, uh, to purchase vaccines. We need funding for uh, manufacturing of test, 
test kits, to sustain the labs to do the testing, to do the genetic surveillance as needed. Uh, and we need more research. We need second generation vaccines that offer broader protection against more variants, more durable protection. We need vaccines that um, work on the mucosa in the nose so that we don't have transmission going on. There's so many things that we still need to do. Mm -hmm. And if we simply don't have the funding, it will all stop. And these are, this, this is just setting our country up for more preventable deaths, mm -hmm. more tragedy. And on a global scale, it could be very destabilizing. Mm -hmm. Professor Vermont, on the contrary, we are seeing, for instance, on the Chinese social media, scenes of large scale gathering, thousands of young people uh, gathered without any social distancing, without masks, celebrating, for instance, a graduation ceremony and people, and you give, you, you have the impression that everything is fine, that the COVID is not there, there is not a virus that's spreading. Uh, how come? Is, is it two, two Americas we're seeing? One that is suffering with the virus and the other life is already returning to normal? Yes, I agree with Dr. Tan uh, that uh, we are being much too casual about the ongoing threat of the virus. And I think that um, some of these large gatherings are requiring um, full vaccination status and boosting and there, thereby um, risks are not as severe uh, in that kind of ecosystem. But many other gatherings are not looking at vaccine status at all. There are many susceptible people, many people whose immunity has waned from uh, vaccination over a year ago or infection over a year ago. So I do think that these uh, risk uh, so-called super spreader uh, events and many people can get infected uh, at such gatherings. So um, judicious use of masks, uh, limiting the size of gatherings, uh, ensuring that if you have a gathering that persons are vaccinated or uh, that they are tested the day of or the day previous to the, ga to the gathering and everyone tests COVID negative. All of these things are are available uh, tools for us to control transmission. Uh, at my university, we have our graduation tomorrow. We're going to have uh, 10,000 people in one location, but they will all have been vaccinated. Nearly all of them will have been boosted. And uh, I think that we can keep people safe. Um, finally, um, Professor Vermont, because you mentioned that the, the worst is over and yet uh, we are seeing, uh, for instance, warning from the Biden administration that actually the United States could see 100 million coronavirus infections more than the current level and that a potentially significant wave of deaths this fall and this winter. How do you look at this prospect? I think it's essential that we substantially improve our booster rate of vaccine, it's really disturbing that it's only 35%. And uh, we really need to get as close to full boosted uh, capacity as we can get. That will help a lot. And I think at least we know that if rates do climb, we are in a position to reinstate some of the um, limitations, uh, including uh, mandatory mask use, and uh, physical distancing, some of the, 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 the strategies that were reasonably successful in helping us in the latter part of 2020 and 
in much of 2021. So I do think we're in a position to reinstate some of these limitations if we see rates rising. And as Dr. Tan pointed out, um, if we have new variants, we may need new vaccines. Okay. Well, we'll keep a close watch on the situation because uh, as we have observed, the rate of uh, vaccination has actually plateaued since February. I mean, the percentage of the population gotten boosted have actually stayed very much the same. And now that you have relaxed some of these mandates, how easy it is to reimpose these restricted measures that people just don't like by nature. Anyway, many thanks to Professor Stan Vermund, Dean of the Yale School of Public Health and Dr. Alice Hyung Kyung Ten, internist at uh, Ms. Medi Women's Hospital. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Lucien, coming to you from Beijing. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lucien in Beijing. Go to YouTube and look for CGTN The Point. enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. Welcome to My Stories of Chinese Characters, Season 2. I'm Uncle Han Zi. This season, we will travel to different destinations and experience the different sceneries throughout the year. This season, we will taste delicious foods. Delicious, how sure. Feel the delicacy of Chinese silk. Uh, some people say that this is the world's first computer because each one of these is an instruction and enjoy the local architectures. Yes, it's a big house, Chuanzhou's Wu Cuo. We will feel a sense of camaraderie on the slow train. And feel the excitement of the snowfields. Yes! 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 I'm Uncle Han Zi. This season, we will take you to see a different China from the perspective of Chinese characters. Meet us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms, or on our website, radio.cgtn.com.